Good morning, church. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this corporate worship gathering. We thank you for your word. Your word makes very clear, Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts, give us teachable hearts, hearts that would recognize that apart from you, Lord, we are utterly broken, we have no hope. And we ask, Lord, that you would graciously bear fruit as we hear from your word this morning. We thank you once again for this privilege to hear from your word. And we accept these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maranatha, we continue in our series on the importance of our corporate worship gathering. And this morning, we consider why we sing as God's people when we are gathered. And it's pretty ironic that I'm the one preaching on singing because I'm not a very good singer. And I don't come, a family, I don't come from a family with natural musical abilities. Case in point, when I used to lead praise out of necessity for my previous youth group in Massachusetts, <clears throat> I unknowingly chose songs and keys that are way too high. And I didn't understand how to breathe properly while singing so I didn't know this was possible, but parts of my face would fall asleep. Like when your leg falls asleep from sitting on it too long, that's what would happen to my face. So after praise, when we would spend time in prayer, before the message, I was literally moving my face, like massaging my face to get some feeling back while the youth's kids, uh, youth's eyes were closed. But it's not just me. I have a younger brother. And I heard from my brother's friend that many years ago when they would go to church together, it was very obvious when my brother was singing because it was very loud but very off-key. So he had a lot of passion, just not the skill. So if there's any hope for a family when it comes to music, the arts, it really rests on my younger sister. So I say this because I preached this morning not because I'm an expert on singing, but because God's word is to be our sole authority. And his word has a lot to say about corporate singing. And we spend a lot of time during our worship gathering singing, so we need to consider some questions. Questions like, why is singing to God so important? Why sing when we are gathered? Why not just keep it an individual private act of worship? And there are three reasons I want to highlight from our Ephesians passage, especially verse 19, for why we must sing when we are gathered together as believers. The first reason is this. We sing when we are gathered because it is a way we walk in wisdom together. It is a way we walk in wisdom together. Verse 19 it must be understood within the context of verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. It's within this context of walking in wisdom that Paul encourages the Ephesians to address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So in other words, Sing together because singing together is a way to walk in wisdom together. 
It is a way to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. Now, Paul's encouragement during this time were to Christians who were being persecuted in Ephesus. So the idea of days being evil is very real for them. There's constant temptation to walk out of line with the truths of the gospel, constant temptation to walk in unwise ways in order to avoid hardship. And most of us, we don't face persecution like these early Christians. We are constantly tempted. We are constantly tempted by our own flesh, by this world, and the evil one. So we're tempted to not make the best use of our time, this time that the Lord has given us here on this earth. Listen to what Don Whitney, Christian professor and author, writes about this. Our thoughts must be disciplined. Otherwise, like water, they tend to flow downhill or stand stagnant. That's why in Colossians 3, 2, we're commanded, set your mind on the things above. Without this conscious, active, disciplined setting of the direction of our thoughts, they will be unproductive at best, evil at worst. Our bodies are inclined to ease, pleasure, gluttony, and sloth. We must carefully discipline ourselves in how we walk in this world, else we conform more to its ways rather than to the ways of Christ. So then how is singing together a way to walk in wisdom? In another letter to the Colossians, Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This word, richly, shows up in three other passages in the New Testament. And as I read them, I want to encourage you to try to grasp what the authors are trying to say when they use the word richly. Titus 3, 4-7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 1 Timothy 6.17 As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And finally, 2 Peter 1, 10 to 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One truth is very clear from these passages. Our Lord is not cheap. He's not frugal towards his people. And these passages help us to understand what Paul writes in Colossians 3. That the word of Christ, it's an absolute treasure. Its worth cannot be measured. Its richness 
It cannot be exhausted. And Paul says that singing together is one of the ways in which the word of Christ dwells richly in believers. It's how the Lord has chosen to allow the life-giving truths of his word to sink deeper into our lives. And as these truths take residence, take up residence in our hearts, it flows out in godly wisdom. And this is what Paul is getting at when he writes that believers are to be filled with the Spirit. We're to be driven, motivated by the wisdom of God's Word. One pastor writes that being filled with the Spirit is living in the conscious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, letting his mind through the Word dominate that is thought, everything that is thought and everything that is done. To be filled with the Spirit is the same as to walk in the Spirit, as we see in Galatians 5.16. This is why the words we sing matter so much. We're not just to sing whatever we want, but we are commanded to sing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. And in my study, I've learned that commentators, they have different opinions on what exactly the differences are between hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. But what they all agree on is that all of them are to be grounded on the truths of God's word. They're to be grounded on the truths of God's word because it's God's word alone that makes one wise. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 2 Timothy 3.15, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah 8, 9. The wise men are put to shame. They are dismayed and caught. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what kind of wisdom do they have? So as we sing together, we help one another grow in wisdom because we are speaking the truth in love to one another as it says in Ephesians 4:15 and we often think of this verse speaking the truth in love to one another in the context of correcting one another correcting another brother or sister in Christ in order to bring unity among believers and absolutely we should be doing that we need more of that in the church But singing as a group of believers is also a way to speak the truth in love to one another. And for those who don't like to confront people, and I'm sure there are some of you here who don't like to confront, this is actually a perfect way to speak the truth in love in a passive, intentional way. Just sit next to a brother or sister in Christ, sing certain verses really loudly, and just walk away. And boom, you've just spoken the truth in love, right? Passively, intentionally, not passive-aggressively, right? Passive intentionally, right? But in all seriousness, let's say you know that a fellow believer is going through a difficult trial. What an encouragement it would be if you were to stand next to him or her and sing truths with them like, come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death the God of life. No grave could ever restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance. 
how unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. It is a tremendous privilege that we have that we could sing together. A privilege that we often forget. We can just come alongside another brother or sister and just sing these verses at the top of our lungs and encourage them. Every believer can be built up through singing and every believer has a role in building up others through singing. And this is how the church can walk in wisdom together. Secondly, we sing when we are gathered because it is commanded by God. After setting the foundation for who we are in Christ in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul writes various commands for believers in chapters 4 to 6. And one of those commands is found in our passage, verse 19. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. My face falling asleep while singing, my brother's inability to sing in key, they're good reasons. They're very good reasons to keep us off the praise team. But they're not reasons for us to stop singing. Singing as a body of believers, it's not a mere suggestion that the Lord gives. Like reading and meditating on God's word. Like praying and lifting up our requests to God. Like serving to build up one another. We're commanded to sing together. And before we go into this particular command, it can be tempting to think of God's commands in two extremes. One is to use them as a way to build up self-worth, self-righteousness, and pride. And I'll just do whatever the Lord wants me to do so that I can be deserving of this salvation, deserving of this love. But Lord, if I keep all these commandments, you owe me. So that's one extreme. The other is to flee as far as possible because we have this freedom in Christ. A huge misunderstanding of what freedom in Christ means. So I'll just do what I want, when I want. His grace, mercy is more. His love is unconditional. Nothing can separate me from his love. Both extremes are extremely wrong. Listen to what Pastor Jason Mayer writes about God's commandments. Christians should not be addicted to God's commands or allergic to his commands. God's commands are invitations wrapped in obligations. God's commands are more than obligations, but not less. It is a both and, not an either or. The invitation is the inner core of the command, and the obligation is the outer layer. Apart from the Spirit, God's demand for obedience and submission feels like shots fired to sinful humanity. But the redeemed have an entirely different experience with respect to God's commands. They feel the initial weight of the authoritative demand, but they look more closely and see the inner core of the invitation. They are stirred by the invitation to intimacy with their Savior and King. I'm not sure why, uh, but Snickers, the candy bar, it's been on my mind a lot lately. And more specifically, the Snickers ice cream bar. And I don't know if you know, but if you know, you know, right? The Snickers ice cream bar. And before I get into this illustration, I want to make a very clear request. Please do not buy me a bunch of Snickers bars after this illustration. I warn you now, 
as much as I hate to do it, I'll just throw them out. Right? And if I don't, my wife will. So please, I, I make this request because my previous youth group, I made an illustration about Trader Joe's white cheddar popcorn. And then like the following week, they bought me four giant bags. And just please, all right? So when it comes to the Snickers ice cream bar, really any candy bar, granola, protein bar, the only way to enjoy the goodness, all the goodness, is to open up that plastic wrapper, right? That plastic wrapper that surrounds all that is in it, right? The command to sing, or any other command of God, is like that plastic wrapper, right? Those who seek to pursue God by following his commands self-righteously, you're just asking for more plastic wrapper. All you want is that plastic wrapper, and you want more of it. Hey, do you want the ice cream bar? No, I just want more plastic wrapper, right? Sounds ridiculous. Right? Then there are those who just want to throw aside this command to sing together or any, of other, any other of God's commands. And this is like seeing the Snickers ice cream bar, and you see that it's wrapped, and you're appalled. You're like, what? I have to actually do something to enjoy this bar? I have to open the plastic wrapper? Forget it. I'm just going to throw it out. I'm just going to find another bar that has no plastic wrapper around it. Both completely miss out on one of the best ice cream bars ever to be created. And there are countless times the Lord commands his people to sing. And each and every time the Lord commands his people to sing, it's a call. It's an invitation to grow in deeper intimacy with the Lord. So a passage like Psalm 95.1, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. This command to sing is an outer layer obligation that wraps around the inner core, which is a gracious invitation to a deeper relationship with Him. Because it's only in Him, it's only with Him, it's only through Him that we have true joy, true peace, true hope, true wholeness, true life. And this is why the commandment to sing as God's people is repeated throughout both the Old Testament and the New. For the Israelites, the early churches, and we even see that God our Father sings, Zephaniah 3.17, and Jesus himself sings hymns, Matthew 26.30, Mark 14.26. One commentator estimates that there are around 185 songs in the Bible. 150 of them are the Psalms. The remaining 35 are scattered throughout God's word. And they're songs of joy, songs of deliverance, songs of hardship, songs of lament. And it's not a coincidence that the first song and the last song in the Bible are very, very similar. The first song being in Exodus 15 and the last song being in Revelation 15. Both are songs of Moses. Both are songs about God's gracious work of saving and undeserving people. Both are invitations to trust, to love, to worship the one true sovereign Lord. We sing together when we are gathered because it is commanded by our Lord. Lastly, we sing when we are gathered 
because the Lord is worthy of our wholehearted affection. Notice in verse 19 that our singing isn't just horizontal, where we just address one another, but there's a vertical nature, where we sing and make melody to God with our hearts. And we should not overlook that Paul adds, with your hearts in this command. Because the heart is where we learn, where we see what is most valuable to us, what we find truly worthy. And you may have heard it before, it's the control center of our lives. So when you get a good grade on an exam you studied so hard for, and you celebrate with a, yes, that's from the heart. When you eat something so delicious, you let out an, my goodness, that's from the heart. When you lay your eyes on a newborn child and you whisper, you're so beautiful, that's from the heart. When you find out that you've lost your job, you're frustrated, worried when sharing the news, that's from the heart. When you hear of a loved one passing away, or being diagnosed with an illness, you cry out in pain and grief, that's from the heart. So what Paul is getting at is this. We are to sing and make melody to the Lord from the control center of our lives, from our hearts, because he is that worthy of our wholehearted affection. This means that mere lip service just coming on a Sunday, mouthing words that are on a screen, and then leaving this place to go on about the rest of your week, this is not what the Lord desires. This type of outward, heartless worship, it may look good on the outside. This is what God accuses of his people through the prophet Isaiah, which ultimately leads to their judgment. And Jesus refers to this very passage, Isaiah 29, 13, when he warns the Pharisees of their hypocrisy. Matthew 15, 8 to 9 says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. But in contrast, think about the Apostle Paul when he drove out the spirit of divination from a fortune-telling slave girl in Acts 16. When our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them out to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in on attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Why were Paul and Silas praying, singing hymns in prison? I believe it's the same reason Paul commands the Ephesians to sing and make melody to the Lord from their hearts. 
I believe it's the same reason we are commanded to sing as a body of believers from our hearts. And we see the reason in what he writes to the Ephesians several chapters before our passage. Now, I'm going to read a, a large chunk of Ephesians, and this chunk might be very familiar to us. And as I was preparing, I was convicted that I can't write this better than the Holy, Inspir Holy Spirit-inspired Paul. So we're going to read this together. So I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians 2, and it's not going to be on the screen. Please open up on your own Bibles to Ephesians 2 to follow along. And if you're next to someone who's new, or next to someone who may not know where Ephesians is, scoot on over, grab a Bible in front of you in the seat, and help them out. Ephesians 2, and we're going to read about 20 verses together. And as I was preparing, I was praying that as we read this passage, this familiar passage, that the Lord would soften our hearts. That we would be able to read this passage and be reminded that this is living truth. That we would read it afresh and that our hearts would be renewed. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and then we'll read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now listen to this, Maranatha. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then we're going to turn our attention to Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, the blessings that we have in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved in him we have the redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in christ as a plan for the fullness of time 
to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It's in him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is why Paul and Silas prayed and sang from their hearts. They understood who they were before they were saved, that they were sinners who were dead in their trespasses and sins, sinners fully deserving the perfect wrath of God. But they also understand, understood who they were in Christ. They understood that through Christ's life, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, that their sins were paid in full, that they were given new life in full union with Christ as God's adopted, beloved children, that they had a secure inheritance in Christ that was awaiting them. This is why they sang. One of the songs we sing every now and then has a lyric that I really love. It's a song called Grace Alone. And the line, or two lines, is this. You have raised me so high up above my station. I am a child of God by grace and grace alone. Maranatha, we can't get any lower than death. We also can't get any higher than being a child of the Most High God. And our understanding of this gap, it only increases, not decreases, as we mature as children of God. We've been raised so high up above our station through Christ, so much more than we realize. And this is why the Lord is worthy of our wholehearted affection. This is why we gather to sing together. One of the most powerful memories of corporate singing for me was at a pastor's conference about 10 years ago. And this conference was held in a giant arena, an arena that hosts concerts, basketball games. So there were thousands of people and it was a pretty amazing experience to sing with them and to hear all these people singing praise to our Lord together. My friends and I, we don't really like crowds, so we typically sat near the top of the arena where the box office seats were. We also like easy access to the bathrooms. So we had a bird's eye view of all that was going on on the floor. And I still remember so clearly what I saw during the time of praise. On the floor near the stage, there was a group of people being led in praise through sign language. And these people would follow along in sign language as praise to our Lord. So forget not being able to breathe properly or singing in the right key. These people were not able to speak at all. And what I witnessed, what I learned was this, 
even the inability to speak, it won't hold back believers from giving the praise that our Lord is due. Because our Lord is that worthy of our wholehearted affection. Our Lord is that worthy of our wholehearted affection. So as we close, I actually want to invite the praise team to come on up. And as they make their way up, I want to read once again Psalm 100. And as I read this psalm, I encourage you to take time to reflect, to consider how our Lord is truly worthy of our wholehearted affection. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Maranatha, let's stand and let's sing together. Let's sing as a way to walk in wisdom together. Let's sing in obedience to God's word. Let's sing because the Lord, our Lord, is truly worthy of our wholehearted affection.